Today's guest is Angie Breyers. Angie had a near-death experience back in 1995, and today we're going to learn about her experience. Angie, thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. I really appreciate you, and welcome. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much. All right. It's a a gift to be here. Well, thank you. (laughs) All right, so... The audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, and if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Yep, absolutely. Look, I I was a child that had tonsillitis a lot, and I had a, a quite a traumatic upbringing. And um, in 1995, I was um, I was about 38, I think, and. Um, I had a bout of tonsillitis and I had just come back from New Zealand after um, an attempt on my life and I'd spent a month in hospital and then the guide found where I was with my family so they shot me over to Australia and I was suffering from serious PTSD um, and I had a little son. My son was seven at the time and I was um, we were staying with his grandparents here on his father's side <clears throat> and I was just extremely sick with tonsillitis and I was um, in bed and I suddenly found myself going through a brilliant light tunnel and I and I traveled through and then suddenly I was coming to like wormholes that were multicolored and I and I was flying down them you know like on a on a um, on a ride and then I would find myself in different places. And I, it seemed to last days. And I had um, some incredible interactions. And, you know, I, I was a kid that had always, you know, wondered why me. Like I was, you know, a, a nice person, a good person. And, and uh, I was kind. And I could never understand why all of this constant trauma, um, you know, was was placed on me, and I, I couldn't understand why God would do that to me. And I had lots of godlike experiences as a child. I grew up as a Mormon, and um, I had a lot of spiritual experiences. But I'd I'd always wondered why me, and I was a very lonely um, adult and a and a lonely child. And I um, so I was sort of in this place, and I, I was broken. I had a son that I was responsible for. My body was shaking like a washing machine, you know, for the last six months from the PTSD. And, um, you know, this guy had thrown me into a burning fireplace and, and into a glass mirror, so I was really broken. And the normal psy- psychology system wasn't working for me. You know, they put you on beta blockers and all these things, and I was I was not functioning. And I, I, I was over here. I had no income because I'm from another country, so I, I just had to work. And um, so I was really sick. And I was in this journey, and, and I suddenly found myself on a beach, right down one of these wormholes, and phew, I'm just on this beach. And it's, it's, it's always like evening there, you know, like, like my paintings. It's always kind of just misty and and beautiful and and just really rich colors and I was on this beach and I was speaking to someone and I always call them they because I never really got faces but there was someone with me that was that was talking to me and and they were they were talking to me about um you know having having the courage of Job and and understanding that that you know mine is to learn courage 
that I've come to this life to learn that nothing can destroy my soul. And so uh, that was the first. Okay, that's pretty big. And they talked to me about, um, you know, how how I, I I chose this. Sorry, I have dogs here. I work with traumatized dogs. That's okay. Um, and it was it was really quite eye opening to me. I didn't feel sick during this thing at all. Like I was just completely devoid of my body absent of my body and then from that beach I went to somewhere else and 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 I was kind of crying I'm I'm going it's not fair you know it's not fair I've got to bring this child up and I'm I'm on my own and I you know I I can't see a future my body's broken my brain's broken it's not functioning and then I found myself in a in like a a council room and there was a big oval. I was maybe looking at the table. I'm a bit, you know, a bit of a builder, so I'm always sort of looking at architectural things. But it was a big oval table, and it was like grey stone, and there was all these beings there. And I, you know, like like one of these beings, I remember looking at him, thinking, oh, "Is this a dream or is this real?" But he was, he was like a huge lion head, and there was he was sort of flames, and there was all of these beings there, and they were all counselling me, and. I was, I was saying, no, 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 I can do this. So I need everyone's help and I want to get it done young because I've got stuff to do. And people were crying. They're saying, no, you can't do this. You can't, and, and not so young. Like you, you just can't be doing this. And I'm going, I can, I got this. And so if you understand the trauma of my childhood, um, you know, I've had um, Interpol interview me about my childhood for about two hours as an adult. Um, I was standing there and these people were crying. They're saying, no, 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 no. And I wanted someone to come and give me an experience of trauma so that I could overcome it and pull back the tools into this existence, right, so that I could then go and help other people. And... There was one that loved me more than anyone, one that I've had many lives with, and I knew this instantly. And and that being stood up and with tears in his eyes, he said, I, I, I know you can do this. I know that you are one of the gallant souls. I know that you can do this. And you know what? If you have to do it, I would rather it be me than someone that doesn't love you. So I will sacrifice this life to do that with you. And then I was shot off somewhere else, right? But that person was my father. Hmm. So all of my years of, of hatred and anger and rage and, you know, all of these things that my father and my upbringing and, you know, why me and, and like, like this whole ball just suddenly dissipated. That what I thought of being a victim was, was a gift that I had asked for. And it's made a huge difference in my life. It's made a huge difference in the way I walk in the life and, and the way I look at trauma as it comes. But, you know, I think that was one of the most incredible things that happened there. They talked to me about everyone that's in my existence and what they're here for, and they showed me, you know, how, how their life was working and what their participation in, in, in the earth was. And, you know, one person was just to support another person who was here to help older people. 
So it was really, really interesting. And they they taught me about my son. They said, you know, do not teach him any particular way. He already has the knowledge and he will find, you know, his his space. So you don't need to. You just need to walk by example. And, um, yeah, I got so much um, guidance on how to walk forward, on what I'm here to do. And it was just really, really the, the most beautiful experience and I've had you know different experiences since but just just having having that understanding that the trauma I had survived in this life was asked for by me then I had to sit there afterwards and think okay so so if I planned that trauma then therefore that says I must have been right a gallant spirit so if I'm a gallant spirit, what am I doing here laying in a heap crying, right? And, um, you know, I had to stand up and say, right, well, because they also said to me, you know, that the longer you leave this, Angie, the more we have to send you these things. So, you know, it hurts us more than it hurts you to keep bringing you these things. So once you get it, it's gone. So, you know, another major, major learning and tool that I was able to bring back. And the, so the, the experience just continued on. It, it was so huge. It was, it was so broad. It was, um, you know, I, I, I met my ancestors there. Um, we, you know, they, they sort of talked about how, how their sacrifices and their nobility and their strength as warriors, I'm from New Zealand, so, you know, Māori ancestors who were warriors. My fourth great-grandfather was, you know, one of the great chieftains of the northern Māoris and a great warrior and a great chief. And, um, you know, they talked about the strength and power that they had and that's actually within you. We are in you. So, you know, stand up, stand up, walk tall. So it was an incredible experience. And... Um, and then I kind of came to, came back to my body and, and I was just lying in the room in the darkness and just looking at the roof. And then I saw going through the roof was like a, it was, it was like coming out of, out of my head and it was like a, like silver and blue and pink and it was all just wafting up. You know how they say that we have these things around us and I was just watching it just going up through the roof and through the thing and then then slowly it just settled back in so that was my experience on on that particular date um and I I just found it an incredible learning and strengthening tool when I when I uh you know woke up in the morning I had my son's grandmother come in and say, you know, get out of bed and get to work. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Mm. And and so I sort of, you know, I was, and I and I got in the car and I actually drove straight to the doctors and I and I went and saw him and um, and he just took a look at me, opened my mouth and he rang her and he said, you are the don of a hospital. You have been for thirty years. How dare you let this girl get into a car and drive? And what had happened was my tonsils had had uh, ruptured. And all of the toxins had gone through my body. So he injected me with antibiotics and things and he made her come and get me. And, and um, you know, he said, um, he said, you know, if anything's worse, get us straight to the hospital. But So 
yeah, to, to, to me, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it was an NDE or an OBE, but it was extremely profound. It, it went on for so long. I, I, I learned things about, um, you know, um, Jesus Christ, who, who I'd left, you know, I'd left my beliefs of Jesus and God and things with the Mormon church. But my anger was more at the church or the people in it within within our circle. And... Um, and you know, I was showing that that he was one of us. You know, he was he was just like an ordinary person that had, you know, great teachings of, of empathy and strength and courage and, and how miracles can happen, but from within you. And and that there are many, many, you know, we have we have so many um, you know, through through the ages and through time, but he's you know, he's very special, he's been remembered. And, you know, I talk to him a lot. Hmm. And um you know, I ask for their guidance and, and I get it. And so, you know, on, on religions, they, they sort of said that, look, religions are, religions are great. If, they, if they're giving people, you know, a beautiful way of living and a beautiful way of walking in the world and kindness and empathy and strength and holding their family together, then, you know, it's wonderful. You know, there's 80,000 pathways to enlightenment and, and that's just one of them. It's the um, indoctrination of some and the, the need to, you know, tell people they're going to hell that, that they have the problem with. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing <laughs> that with me. Um, That's all right. Um, I'm, I'm sure that more will come up with our questions. So I'll, I'll sort of go, oh, yes, uh, that. So. I'll try to pick your brain a little bit and see what I can, Absolutely. What I can dig up. All right. When you saw them, yeah. as you described them, as yeah. them, were they yeah. like light beings or are they like solid like you and me here? They they were like it's it's like in your peripheral vision. So so if you have someone standing here in your peripheral vision, you see them, but you're not, you know, seeing their details. And and, and that's how I always even still see them because I don't look. And I don't know why I don't look, but I don't look. But I it's like having a person there but not putting a name or face to it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a light being, you know, they go through me, they go around me, they are huge, they are, um, you know, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful souls. But just I've, I've just always called them they. So, I, I've, you know, I haven't had anyone sort of say, I am God, I am here to guide you, or I, I'm just sort of like there's someone here. You know, with the ancestors, I, I know that I, I'm talking to an ancestor. Like I, like I innately know who I'm talking to, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sort of saying, oh, are you my grandmother or are you my great-grandfather or I'm just, my, my focus was on, you know, the fascination of everything, the fascination of what I'm doing and what I'm learning and, and, and what I'm being shown. So, yeah. If you can imagine someone standing in your peripheral, that's sort of how I, I see them. There's a blueness about them. There's a, um, but there's a solidity, mm. if that makes sense. Has your faith in the Latter-day Saints changed at all? No, it hasn't. No, I'm, I'm not a member of the church, or do, nor do I participate. I haven't for the last 35 years. Mm. Um, but my... My belief in in God and Jesus is absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've gone from being like, oh, it's just a load of collywop to, no, they're here. Do you know what I mean? Right, that right. They're here. Right. Yeah. At what point did you realize that 
either dead or out of my body? Once I went through that white light and then suddenly it turned into a, a zooming multicolored, like a, like a wormhole that, that I just flew down and then I, and then I landed at that beach. Uh, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm gone. I, I didn't know whether I was dead. Um, I'd had a lot of out-of-body experiences before, but I, um, I, I knew that I was in another realm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't realize that you had had prior out-of-body experiences before so yeah. you could make a comparison yeah. of what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've had, I've had many all my life. So actually some of my brothers and sisters, it's really amazing. We've been, um, you know, we've been sort of separated for many, many years and, and now, you know, we're coming back together and I'm, I'm connecting mm-hmm. with each of them and, and we're all actually healers in our own right. And, and this is something I find amazing because, you know, we were so vastly different. The divide and conquer in our childhood was, was what separated us. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we've all come full circle to this thing. So, you know, I, I believe that the, the life sacrifice by my father was, was a gift to all of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and they, they have these experiences too. So, yeah, it's really interesting. So are you saying that, in this lifetime, your father was possibly a terrible person to you, treated you terribly, etc. And then when you were in this experience, you realized that you asked for this and your father yeah. said, okay, I'll, I'll use up this lifetime to be that person for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I hated the fact that that was so for a while, like it took me probably about six months to sort of come to terms with that. Like I was angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was angry that I'd asked for it and he'd gifted it to me. Um, but, you know, I was just in the garden one day and I and I sort of, it just hit me and I'm like, oh, my God. So, you know, even if it's not true, it helps me make sense of my childhood mm-hmm. and it helps me make sense of things. If it is true, mm-hmm. then I have no right I have no right to condemn this soul and I have no right to, you know, demand of them. And, you know, it was a, it was a real gift to me. And, and so then I was able to, to take this and make it a tool. And it's like, well, if I wanted to learn all this stuff, then what the hell was I going to learn? So I was able to look back into it, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and reach into that darkness. You know, it took a lot of courage to reach into that darkness and, and, and pull things up and go, so so what did I learn from that? Oh, I learned how to recognise a predator. I learned how to recognise a victim. I learned how to recognise grooming, right? Oh, that's some tools. So if that's what I learned, what did I learn it for? Must be to help other people on that same journey, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Then I was able to take that and, and, and take all of these things, you know, and, and be able to say thank you for teaching me and, and bringing me to the place that I needed to get to. You know, if I had had a beautiful princess life, like I, I interviewed my brother the other week and, um, you know, he's in Europe. And, um, you know, without these things, we wouldn't be who we are. If, if we'd lived the princess life that we covered coveted from everyone else that had these happy families and, you know, beautiful lives and money and stuff, then, you know, we, we would be just 
going along there but we've 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 taken these great tools and we've we've learned courage and we've learned to you know survive a murder attempt right mm. this guy trying to kill me you know a national magazine covered the story and said we've never seen a girl kick a man in the chin with a six inch heel before mm. you know because because in that moment i was clear right and I was able to see everything slows down and that guy's going to, you know, attack me. I'm able to see where he was and I'm able to bring up my, you know, my fist or my leg and and survive that. I wouldn't have learned that if I'd lived a princess life. I'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I had a, uh, I had a, I was walking along the street one night, you know, about 8 o'clock at night. I got some milk and I was just going home to my house with my son and, and, um, I'm walking past a, there's an office building up around the corner from where we live and then next to it is an alley and it was dark. And I heard in my my head this voice just yelled out, Angie. It was my father's voice who was dead. And I and I instantly knew to look behind me and about 200 yards behind me was a guy. And I knew like that that guy was going to attack me and I knew exactly what his plan was. He was going to get me on the corner push me down that alleyway and rape me. So all of my ancestors turned up, right? Everyone was there. I was able to, you know, through the back of my head and all the hair standing up, know when he was coming close. He got to me right on the corner. He said to me, you got the time, which I know is an invite in. And then he went to grab me. And all of this strength from my life, all of the stuff that I've learned came up inside me. All of my ancestors came up inside me and I was able to grab the guy and I grabbed him and I started pulling him down the alley and I grabbed him and, and I don't know, I turned into some fierce Maori warrior. My eyes were rolling, I could feel them rolling in my head. The voice that came out of me was not mine. It was, it was demonic. And I just, you picked the wrong Tonight I'm going to you up. And I'm pulling him in. And I had the strength of a man. And this guy's gone from being an attacker to, you know, I'm getting him down the alley. Mm-hmm. And, and he suddenly, like I, I saw in his eyes, the moment he turned from being a predator to being the victim, and they showed me him being a victim at six years old. Right? And now he's, and so he went from that to being that little kid. And I'm like, and, um, and, he started trying to get away from me and I'm, you know, I, I don't want to do it on here because it looks really ugly, but I grabbed men and then just to the point I'm like, okay, just let him go a bit, let him go a bit. And then, and then I just pulled him in for another check and um, let him go. And he's running off down the road and I'm instantly laughing, right? I'm not sort of there going, oh, I just got attacked. I'm like, oh, that was funny. And, and he's right, and then I hear this ear piercing scream. And I look and he was trying to do up his fly, which he'd conveniently got ready, and he's obviously caught his caught his bits in his pants. Wow. So so I'm actually rolling around with laughter and I and I walked the two doors to home and I walked in and I said to my son, Oh my god, the funniest thing just happened. And you know, so so all of this stuff, you know, that's a validation of everything you've learned was tools that you wanted to learn because they keep you safe in in, in the face of, so one of the things the Bible said, and I've never been able to find it, but I remember hearing it when I was a kid, like I must have been nine or ten, and they said, you know, 
even if you are cast into the hands of murderers, it is for your own learning. Mm. Everything that happens to you in this life is for your own learning. And, and as a kid, I'm like, how can being in the hands of murderers? Like, what? And I spent years, I always said at the back of my head, it's like, what does that even mean? But for some reason, it needed to stay with me. Mm. And I got to learn it. Even if you're cast into the hands of murderers, it is for your own learning. You know? Ah, I've had a couple of lessons now that I'm casting the hands of murderers and I am so courageous and all of the strength and courage I needed in this life is within me. So stop being a victim, stand up, walk tall and get on with what you're here to do. And, you know, so, so these all come from that background. You know, my dad taught me to, I, I remember being, being 12 and, and my dad was a master builder. So, so once I was able to get rid of the, the hatred for my dad and just have that clear space, then I was able, I started recalling things that had been blocked out. Like I started recalling, you know, he gave me my eye for design. He, he taught me to build. He, you know, he taught me so many things. He taught me to think laterally. He taught me to problem solve. He taught me so many incredible things. And I always remember being 12 and we were on a building site Said twelve. Anyway, we're on a building site, and and um, so we'd always have to go our holidays, or you know, go with dad to work. And it was either right, your kids can either dig trenches or get rid of rubbish, or you can help me. And all the other kids are like, oh, yeah, we'll go do rubbish. And I was, I was like, yeah, I'll learn. And so you know, he taught me to putty windows, and he taught me. And I always remember we had this big roof truss, and and I'm I'm holding the end of it. He's got it set up with me, and I'm holding the end of it, and I'm like. And, I, and he's run up and he's climbed up on the roof and he's, and he's leaning over to pull it up. And he looked down and, you know, his rooster hair started like, it's a pretty cool dude. His hair so, and he's looking down at me and I'm like, and, and he goes, you know what, Angie, I know it's hard, but I'm going to teach you to survive like a man and walk like a woman. And that came back to me. And you know what? That is exactly what he did. Mm. So, you know, what a gift. Had your father already passed before you had this experience? No, no, he hadn't. Hmm, interesting. Mm, yeah, I didn't speak to him though. But um, but before before he did die, I sent him a letter and and I thanked him and I recalled all these great memories that I'd recalled. Did your relationship change after that? No, I live in another country, so I don't have a lot to do with him. Yeah. But you know, he changed. You know, another thing, another really interesting thing about about him and and like perhaps his journey on this earth was that a couple of years ago, I I caught up with my two little brothers. So I've got two little brothers. uh, You know, one was 12 years younger than me, and then, you know, to his next marriage. And, you know, we we sat on um, my brother Justin's farm, and and Nathan, who's an Ayurvedic healer now, um, you know, we were talking and and Nathan said to me, yeah, you know what, Dad changed. He said, we've had a whole different existence with him. And he said, you know, I remember one day I was six and, you know, Justin was three or something. He said, we're on the driveway and he said, I'd done something wrong. And he said, Dad came up the driveway and he's like this. And, and, and then he said, I just saw him. It was like slow motion. I just saw Dad go. And he put his arm down. And he said he never, ever hit us again. So I, you know, that to me again is is another validation that 
that wasn't his nature. That was something he did, you know, and, and you know, he had a traumatic background, right? He had traumatic generations. You know, they were brought up in the real, you know, um, once were warriors world. And so, you know, to me that's a validation that, that dad got to find peace. You know, job done. All those kids have, have you know, learned what they do and, and I'm allowed to have peace now. Yeah. How else do you think this this experience transformed you spiritually? Oh, I- incredibly changed changed my whole life. And, and look, it's it's taken a while since then because you know it took me a lot while to come to terms with everything um, that I was sort of shown and taught there because so much of it was about um, stop being a suki baba, right, and um, grow some balls and and stand up. You know, I, I was never shy of a fight. I was Auckland kickboxing champion in 1984 and a bouncer at a bikey pub and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it, it was talking about the emotional and spiritual and, and needing people and needing relationship. And, you know, it took me a while to to not want to fit in and not want to have a partner and not believe that, you know, love is possible, you know, in this life. And, and um, so... You know, the transformation of that and, and putting all of these things in place, it, look, it takes a lifetime. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty there now. Mm. And, um, and you know, that along with, you know, experiences afterwards has, um, has put me exactly where I am and I'm still here. You know, I've just um, had stage three cancer and, uh, you know, a year of chemo and, you know, had three, three close calls there in the ER. And, um, you know, I know that I'm still here to do what they need to be done. And that's to understand that there's some really simple tools. Like like healing is actually so incredibly simple. Mm. And to work with animals, you know, I work with traumatised animals, horses and dogs. You know, I'm the last call before a bullet. And, um, you know, the the skills that I've come back from with this is is the ability to hear and, and, and to listen and yeah, it's sort of a whole, you know, woo-hoo journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's what I do. Mm. Yeah. So, would you <laughs> consider the experience religious or spiritual? Spiritual, mm. absolutely spiritual. Mm. Um, to me, there's a there's a huge chasm between spirituality and religion, and you know the understanding that they gave me that religion is fine. Um, you know, they don't mind it at all, but it's actually not of them. You know, some of the concepts are, but they've been taken and mm-hmm. and created into something. But you know, they don't have a problem with it if it's if it's allowing people to find that that space within themselves. So you know, horses for courses, mm-hmm. but don't preach it on anybody and don't tell people they're going to hell because they ain't. Mm-hmm. You know, not even Hitler. You know, I, I was shown. Oh yeah, I, I was shown Hitler because that was one of my questions. Like, you know, all these bad guys. My dad was a bad guy, and then you know, I hope he goes to hell, and I hope he burns. And they're just like, uh-uh. and you know, they they showed me how how Hitler changed the way we walk in the world. How Hitler um, taught us empathy and understanding, and he taught us about you know racism and you know believing in in people that are not real. You know, he's, he's one of the world's greatest hypnotists, right? 
So hypnotism is, is there's keys to it, you know, 21 degrees or 12 degrees. Right? General, general, general. And you'll see this in churches, four, four, three, four. And then suddenly, and boom, thought javelins thrown in, right? You look at all of Hitler's speeches. They're all up. He's always on a podium at, at uh, 11 or 12 degrees. They always have that rhythm, all of the things. And then the talk, 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 and then bang. And that's, you know, he hypnotized a whole nation. He hypnotized generations of people that have lived together for hundreds of years and, and been, you know, parts of each other's family into being happy that they're going to go and get killed and I will dog on them. Mm. So what he taught us about was social hypnosis. Mm. And social hypnosis is one of the greatest keys that we have, you know, to our detriment in this world. And, you know, look, I, I, I know that a lot of people support Trump, but, you know, I, I witness Trump and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of similarities in the speech and it's and the understanding that the repetition in the, so as a hypnotherapist, it's like he's got a great marketing team. Mm. You know, he, he doesn't even say logical things, yet people all, all buy them. It's like, why? Because the social hypnosis. You know, he runs on their fear. Churches run on their fear. Hitler runs on their fear. Everyone runs on fear. And that's what we have to get rid of. Have no fear. You know, we're, we're all here. We, we can all survive. We can all do well. Mm. Just be kind. Mm. So, you know, that, that was another thing that they showed me in there that day, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Do you feel like you've fully processed this experience or are there aspects of it that you're still processing? And if so, what are they? Um, you know what? You know what fascinates me is is the fact of other people having the experience. So you know, I talk to other NDAs who who sort of like, wow, you know, you know, someone had the same experience, and and with this one, so I experienced it, and then you know, um, like later on. I was dating a, a film director and, um, and and I told him this entire story in great detail. And um, and as you say, we, we sort of get a bit over telling the story, so we sort of tend to go, um, but I, I told him in great detail, you know, about the tunnels and the beach and the, and the other scenes and, and, you know, there was there was all sorts of things. They showed me a garden and they showed me my garden and they had, you know, millions of, of, of huge birds with like beautiful wings and and they said that everyone has one of these gardens and this is where you'll take people to do their healing and so there's all these sorts of things but when I spoke to him a couple of years later the the movie Contact came out and we were at the theatre watching it and then she started going down these tunnels and he looked at me and I looked at him and he goes oh my god that's exactly what you were describing I'm like and then she landed on a beach and then she spoke to her father. And it was like, do you know what I mean? Somebody else, the writer, has seen this and they've described it so incredibly well. And, you know, a lot of NDEs have, you know, they come across someone and they go, I saw that too, you know, like, like even the burning, the burning lion that was at the counselling table. I've had people say, yes, I know that one. Do you know what I mean? I, I know him, he's like whatever they describe him as. I, I don't ask who anyone is, I'm just sort of there for other other knowledge. But, you know, people have experienced him. And, um, you know, I have two tigers that have come to me since and, you know, they watch over me and I, I work with dead horses and things like that. But, um, 
yeah, it's it's always an ongoing processing. You know, I, I think the more you know, the less you know. So, you know, I'm I'm like a child standing out there on the mountaintop looking at the stars, thinking, wow, so forever is it's like forever beyond the end and forever beyond the end. It's the same thing with these experiences. It's like it's so far beyond me that I just want to to focus on that and not sort of like, you know, the questions of like, so so how do we get to it? How do we, you know, what's the what's the technicalities of things? And I sort of describe it as like, you know, why am I why am I wondering why the car is yellow and not red when actually I'm just happy to be driving the car? No. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So I believe, well, I'm not sure what the timetable is, but you are a healer. Did you become a healer after your experience or were you already dabbling in it before? I've done it all my life. Like my sisters talk about, you know, they remember when I was a child and, and my affiliation for animals that were attracted to me. And, you know, I was, I would work with them, you know, like my sister was saying, oh, my God, I remember we used to go down to the to the racehorse paddock and you'd just, like, jump in the paddock and start brushing these racehorses and the guys coming out going, those things are crazy, get out of there. And, you know, these horses are um, so, but but I've, I've attuned myself. So, so all of this stuff has helped me align from, you know, just broadly sort of thinking, oh, there's something about me to, you know, oh, I'll, I'll take this tool, I'll learn Reiki. And all in that, and then and then brought it all in. So after this experience came the um, the opportunity to learn hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. and you know hypnotherapy in the normal system, um, but what an incredible tool! And I use that tool, separate of hypnosis and reading scripts to people, to do the work that they've guided me to do. So I believe that I'm every day becoming more and more of a healer if that makes sense. But I've been doing I've been doing this journey with people for over 20 years now and I specialise in, in PTSD and trauma release and, um, you know, having had it myself, I, um, for example, um, I failed in the normal system because it didn't work for me. It, it made me cloudy. It made me suicidal. It made me, you know, you have nightmares running over your actual vision. You have nightmares you can't go to sleep then you can't wake up you can't you know all of these different things and um so I was able to record a hypnosis session for myself and then play it back to myself as a client and I went down what happened was that I would have these attacks where I would become kind of unconscious so I'd I'd like go down and my eyes are rolling in my head and and you know I'm looking like I'm dying to people because everyone's freaking out. But in my head, it's like being in one of those dreams where I'm going, I'm okay, but no words are coming out and no one can hear you. And I'm just like stuck there in this, in this body. And so I was able in this hypnosis to say, you know what, stand inside, stand inside your PTSD. Go back to these events. And, so it took me down this timeline and it showed me that 15 minutes before one of these attacks, I get a sense of nausea. That's my first warning in my brain saying, overload, overload, you've got to shut down now, you've got to shut down now, and then it just gets stronger and stronger until it just shuts you down and says, we're now keeping your body safe. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Oh, all good. And um, 
and so then I was able to go, okay, from 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 now on, when this trigger happens, I will simply take three deep breaths. I'll excuse myself and I will go to somewhere nice and quiet and allow my brain to reset for 20 minutes or I will go and lay down and sleep for 20 minutes while my body resets. Excuse me. We're just coming into the throes of icy cold mornings here, so it's, mm. it's a bit. And, and so I, I never, ever had another attack again. And, and you know, what I learned was that, um, you know, having, having psychology every week for an hour when you go in and they're saying, okay, so, so now let's talk about this event and, you know, and, and so what happened there and, and, and what could you have done better? And you're sitting there going, uh, I was the victim. Not much could have done better, but now you want me to feel guilty about something awesome. But what I learned was that the human brain cannot differentiate between reality and non-reality. So every week when soldiers or, or police and things are going in and having to verbalise, it's great to verbalise it once or twice, get it out there, but then when they have, they're actually reliving that trauma every week for an hour and then it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, thank you, we'll see you next week. So they're walking out of that office every week reliving that trauma. How's that working for them two years later? Their body's breaking down more. They now have, you know, chronic fatigue. They have hair falling out. They have all of these sorts of other things. They have arthritis coming in. And what I've learned about PTSD is it's not about the trauma because we know on a conscious level that shite happens, right? But we're not in Afghanistan now. And that pile of rubbish on the side of the road is not hiding an IUD. IUD? Or is that a... Is that a woman's thing? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's our triggers beyond our conscious thinking that need to be shut off. So I was able to to work with those triggers and then go into a big engine room, and I found that some dials were off and some were on. So I, I just cleaned everything up, turned it on, and um, was able to. Never have an attack again, except when I got the cancer. But that was that was just my body telling me something seriously going on here. So mm, that's yeah. great. What I'm still learning, it's incredible how how personal and simple healing is for people, and it's all within you. Reempowerment is self reempowerment, mm. and that's that's what I teach, and that's what I work with. Mm. Can you tell me about yeah. the work you do with animals? Yeah, sure, sure. Look, I'm I'm usually the last call before a bullet for a horse or, or a dog, and um, you know they'll say I'll get that old girl out, see if she can do something. Otherwise, it's got to go. And um, you know I'll go and stand with the horse, and and I'll hear, you know I'll hear what they need to say. And some are, you know, being treated cruelly. Some are ill. You know I'll I'll feel their illness within my body. Um, I had one horse. I had to tell its trainer um, that you know he he thinks he's getting his head cut off, and the trainer, thank you, went back to his work. But then that trainer, you know, when he spoke to me later, he said, you know, I was thinking about that. He said, I thought you were an idiot, but he said I was walking through the stables at the end of the day. And he said, you know how I talk to all the horse, I'm like, yeah, and he goes in and. Like, yeah, you're doing good, you know. And he said, I walked past old grumpy pants. And he said, I walked past and I said, and you, you don't lift your game. You'll be taking a little trip to Cairns. 
which is like we have Cairns here, which is a holiday destination, but they also put horse meat into dog cans. Mm-hmm. So he said, yeah, you'll be taking a little trip to Cairns. And he said, I walked about four steps and going, oh, oh, oh. And then he said, I stopped dead in my tracks. And I realised that that horse has been hearing what I'm joking about with him, right? Because it's his daily threat. You know, you're not running well. And, um, and he realised that that horse understood what he was saying and the horse let me know what he was saying so that I could tell him. And, um, you know, it, it, it changed the way he works with horses. And he said, I've sat here all night. You know, they finished training at, at four. I didn't get back to the stables until eight to go and do my work with all the horses. And he was still sitting there and he said, I've just been sitting here, you know, trying to apologise to that horse. So that's what I do, and it's the same thing, you know. It's like a, you know, I, I, I will connect with an animal, and I will, you know, you, you, you'll see like a, like a, a vague picture, you know. You'll see, you know, like with this horse, I just saw a tree, and then a, a horse, and then its neck and head separate of that, just lying on the ground, mm-hmm. and, and felt the terror, you know. And all the horse could say was like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." I'm sorry. So he was what's called a sour horse. So, you know, there's things like this. There's a horse that was, um, you know, ripped off the off the track. The jockey jumped off it and said, that horse is freaking crazy. I'm not riding it, you know, on its maiden run. Um, by the time I got to it in the in the tie-ups, it was frothing. Its eyes were rolling in its head and it was exactly the horse that I'd been showing about a year before when I rang my son and said, I'm going to work with horses apparently. Um and you know, that horse expressed to me that, you know, my trainer is always stressed, but this morning, you know, at seven o'clock, it's like, oh, if she's scared, I've got to be scared. And there's and by the time we got here, he's like, Oh my god, what's she scared about? I'm gonna, you know, already scared about and he went out there and he's like, What? And I'm so I'm just talking to him going, It's just like another Saturday, you know, you you know your jockey. You just going to go out and have a nice ride and have a run and beat those other horses because it's going to be amazing and just going to have the best ride of your life. And, you know, look, yeah, she's a stressy. That's humans. Humans are stupid like that. So don't go off her stress, you know. Hold your own and, you know, I'll be with you, right? And, I, and that horse calm, calm, put its head in, in, my, in my shoulder after about five minutes. And I had a, um, a, a voice behind me and it was the, the big... Um, uh, not the clerk, the track, the, you know, one of the big guys they'd sent to sort of make the decision on whether that horse needs to go or not. And um, I just heard this voice saying, are, are, are you talking to that horse? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just having a chat. And he said, well, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. And, you know, the horse went out. I got the trainer. I said, you you need to stand well away from where he's going out on the track. Jockey hopped back on, trotted out there. I took the owner up to the, you know, to the racing box. We watched on the television. And her horse ran like it was a, he, he ran really well. And I said to her, so what, what do you think his problem is? And she went, it's me. And I went, yeah, yeah. I said, you could have cost him his life today. You know, 90% of things wrong with, with animals is, is owner operated. Hmm. So that's what I do. You know, I have animals that work with me now that, that are no longer on this earth. And, you know, there's a horse called Tess that does a lot of work with me in teaching animal communication. 
And, um, you know, I had a, a psychopathic type guy here and, um, you know, he was wanting hypnosis but then trying to refuse it. So it's called a secondary gain. He wants to be able to say that he, he can't be hypnotized mm-hmm. and, he, you know, he's forcing his eyes open as, as we're closing them. So I'm like, fantastic. You're doing a great job keeping them open. Keep them open, even though they're itchy and, and tired and they just want to close up. You keep them open because you're in control. You know? and, and then he closed them. So when he was down there, he came back up and he went, yeah, that was good. And I said, how would you go? And he goes, oh, I, I didn't see anything. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and I, I, I said, so how long were you down there for? And he went, like 10 minutes. And I said, well, no, two and a half hours. And then it started coming out because I said to him, you know, when he's down there, I said, well, can you see the point of being dishonest with me? And he's like, no. And I said, so do you want to be honest with me from now on? He said, yep. So then it started coming out. And he's talking about, he's, he's going, yeah, so he's talking about his whole thing down there. And then he goes, and it was really weird because the whole time I was down there, he said, I had this horse staring at me, like like from the side of my, like this big horse eye, just like glaring at me my whole experience. And that was this horse watching over the journey we were doing. So, you know, I just, I love what I do and I, I love where I'm at and I don't question where it comes from or who it is, I'm just like, I'm grateful to be driving this car and, and I'm glad I can be of service in this life to animals and humans and you know, do what I do. I don't think my audience knows, and I've never said this, I prefer to discover my guests at the same time that the audience does. So, for example, today, <laughs> I didn't know hardly anything about you at all. And one of the things I see mm. is it looks like you're a fantastic artist, painter. Do you mind telling us, telling us and maybe showing us <laughs> some of you. your paintings? What you um, behind you? Look, uh, I don't paint. I'm I'm sort of I, I just hold the brush. Mm-hmm. I know that's going to sound silly. I'll see if I can do this without pulling cords out. Um, this is one I'm working on at the moment, and it's it's called um, Beyond the Veil or Through the Veil. So you can see there the little boat, you know. We're looking through the curtain over at that and the, the um, you know, the place we go into our perfect garden. And see next to it there is, is the bridge. See the bridge there just mm-hmm. behind the veil? Mm-hmm. So that's where animals go, right? So, um, you know, they, they, they always have this thing they, they say to us that, uh, um, you know, animals go to doggy heaven and, and it's like, you know, I've been shown that they go to exactly the same place yeah. as we do. Mm-hmm. They're all there with us in our garden and our garden is what we make it and everyone has their own beautiful space that they go to. And, yeah, so that's what they do. I'll probably get another one here. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pull one down. Just, okay. I'll, I'll just have to take this off a sec. Okay. It's a, it's a cat. That's mm-hmm. my cat. He's a healer. Um, this is what I'm sorry. Can you see her name? Ah, oh. hard to. Is that supposed to be an angel? Look, I called it 
motherhood. Um, hang on, I'll just pop it back. These are sculptures. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you always been an artist, or is this something that you became since your experience? I've always enjoyed art. I've, I've never had any, any lessons, um, but I don't believe I'm doing them because when I try to paint, it's, it's very bad. Mm-hmm. And every painting I do is, is completely different. It's a different style, so it's really interesting. So, look, I just always joke that, you know, someone up there has got a hankering for a painting and so they'll pop in and, you know, make a painting with me or a sculpture or, mm. yeah. So that, that epoxy sculpture was the, the base one of a bronze one that I made that's, um, uh, that was bought by Frankston Private Hospital for their oncology ward. So, you know, the scars on it is where the operations are and the, it's called Ito Ito Wahini, which is the courage of a woman and going through breast cancer. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, to me, you're I do all sorts. To me, I believe you're 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 definitely talented at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the, Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Is that something that you just do for you personally? Or are you selling the artwork? No, no, no. I sell them, so they help me pay for dogs. Wow. And roof over our head. Oh, so, okay. yeah. That's yeah. great. And it gives me an outlet. You know. Yeah. 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 Keep keeps me out of the pubs. There you go. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, while we're at it, yeah. so what is your website? Look, I don't have a website. Oh, I, I'm supposed to upload it. You know, I, I've sort of done it all. I've just got to get it up there. And it's that whole thing of like, oh, what bit do I press next? So mm-hmm. that's happening. I've just got a Facebook page and it's Angie Bryer's Biofield Therapy. Mm-hmm. And I've got a YouTube channel, which is Angie Bryer's Biofield Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do a, I've, I've started doing a podcast because I've been told that I need to get content out there and and, um, that, you know, I'm here for a reason and I'm wasting time if I'm not getting it out there to the right people because they have this thing that, you know, people that I can heal will find me Mm. and and so they seem to send people. Started doing a a podcast which is for, so I'm a death doula as well and I find a lot of terminal clients, I'll put them onto, you know, um, uh, podcasts like yours and and NDE radio and things. But I find that sometimes there's a lot of medical background and, you know, going down to the thing and, and people that are terminal are like every day getting poked and prodded and, and they can't get through that. So I sort of started making one that has, um, you know, just a very short intro to to the actual event um, for them and just started another podcast called, um, you know, Friends That Heal. And it's just, you know, talking to other people that, that uh, you know, sort of work the same that, that resonate with me. You know, I don't resonate with a lot of other people in the industry. Mm. Hypnosis, I'm, I'm, you know, I go against everything that they stand for, and um, you know, I just, I'm a, I'm a standalone. But you know, there are beautiful people out there that are meant to be here, and and they're sort of shown to me too. So, you know, I have a coffee and a chat with them, and get it out there, and. Um, I do, you know, look, I, I do hypnosis now by Zoom. COVID, you know, got me 
started on that. I, I didn't want to do it at first, but then I had a bit of an emergency and her husband was a hypnotherapist and he said, look, I'll stand beside her, you know, if anything goes wrong. And it went amazingly. And so, you know, now I'm working on Zoom with clients all around the world and, um, you know, with PTSD, with trauma release, with, um, you know, regression therapy um, and, you know, working with animals all around the world. You know, I have, you know, um, there's a testimonial on there of a, of a client in, in Europe who's actually, I've, I've trained her up to Reiki master, but she's, um, you know, she had a horse in her field that went down and I felt it over here and I just suddenly got this pain in my head and, and I'm like, and I sort of stand inside it, oh, is that my pain? No, it's not because it's kind of like a layer between it and me so I can sense the difference. And then I'm like, all right, who is it? And I get this horse's face sort of slam in and so I just said to you know, one of the girls here, I said, message Renata straight away, tell her she's it's, it's, she's in the field, tell her run down the field, something's wrong with, with her old horse Tessa. And she gets hold of her and she'd actually seen her go down that morning. She got down there and she was, you know, her eye was bulging and, and you know, she's like, what do I do? And I said, you're a Reiki master, do what you've got to do. And, that, and you know, the horse, um, the horse said to me, this was, this was to demand that she move past her fear of her own ability to heal you know a lot of a lot of healers have this um this fear of like what if it doesn't work what if i don't do it properly you know what if i'm just a fake and um you know her horse brought her that lesson and specified that that was to kick her in the ass and tell her get on with doing what she's here to do because she can do it and um yeah so she healed that horse hmm. all right mm. well before we wrap it up here angie <laughs> Do you have one yeah. last message that you can share with us? Oh, dropped out again. Oh, we back. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Look, oh, I'm, okay. I'm a kilometer from I'm a kilometer from the prime minister's house, and you'd think that they would have the best internet here, but that's okay. They you don't. Know, it happens. Sometimes Maybe he doesn't use it <laughs> for everybody to hit, maybe hit, you know. Angie's in Australia, and you know when they do these long distance podcasts. Uh, problems happen but for me the show must go on so i just keep going yes i'll fix it in editing good so what i was saying angie is that um before we take off and go our separate ways do you have one last message that you could share with everybody yes i do and there's I, the dog. who is that oh this is oh this is the little one that's that's staying here so say hello this is she's coco cute. She's so, cute. her name is coco yes, she's one of one of my paying guests, aren't you? Oh. Sorry. Oh, I was saying her yeah. name is Coco. <laughs> my wife oh. is telling that this is Mika. Mika, Mika. Oh, oh, how beautiful! Yeah. Say hello. Hello. We can have a dog cast. <laughs> we, we can. <laughs> we can. A podcast, a dog cast. <laughs> Look, you know, self reempowerment is just that. It's a re-empowerment. If you can understand that everything that happened to you in your life happened for your learning, then the trick is to think, okay, I'm going to take a look at it and see what it did teach me. And then when I know what it taught me, that'll give me a clue as to why I would have wanted to learn that. And then that gives me a clue as to why I'm here and what I'm meant to be doing, right? And from there... 
you can you can let the predator go. You know, you can say thank you for what you taught me, and now you can f off and never steal one single piece of my life force again. Because when we are fifty years old, and I'm fifty seven, but when we are fifty years old, and we are still living the trauma as a ten year old, that has stolen all of your life force, and that is being a victim. Okay. So it's, it's about removing it. You know, humans somehow hold on to their drama. Animals don't. You know, I, I had a horse say to me, why do humans carry around all this drama with them? Why do they? And I'm like, yeah, we're just stupid. We seem to hug it for some reason. You know, it's our crowd. It's like, oh, but, you know, I'm a victim, so that's why I'm not successful. Or, you know, that happened to me, so that's why I'm not, you know, famous. And it's like, just let it go. Just Take what you learn from it. That'll be your clue to the future. And then from there, stand up and be strong. You know, I, I shouldn't be here. Like my son says to me, I have no idea why you didn't end up being some, you know, super drug addict or a prostitute or, or you know, like some, you know, messed up person. And, um, you know, I'm still here. I've walked my own talk, so I know of what I speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I've done all of the hating the fact that it taught me something, you know, hating the fact of letting go. I'm not big on forgiveness, but I'm, I'm really big on letting it go and stepping into your power, taking what you learned from your past and making it part of your future. And then you find peace, you know. Mm-hmm. My peace is now that, that, you know, I can die a single entity. I don't have to fit in with the world because I fit in with me and I fit in with those that work with me and through me. And I fit in with every animal that comes here. You know, I have people that come here with, you know, traumatized, scared dogs and, and they just run from them to me. And they're like, what? You know? And, uh, you know, if, if you can be all that you are, it's such a peaceful space. It's like this really peaceful space in the middle of this tornado with everything and all your life dramas and all your traumas and everything spinning around. And you, you're in the center in this beautiful place going, wow, I learned so much. And, you know, I can, I can walk just peacefully and that can go and that can go and then slowly you just you know look at each one and sort of go yeah yeah you don't belong here anymore no more in my life force thank you for what you taught me mm. that's what life's about it takes us all our lifetime i'm st- sure i've still got lots to learn mm. so hopefully i'll be here for a little while <laughs> well, yeah. thank you for that i really appreciate you sharing yourself with You're us welcome. today and you have had an amazing life I believe you are a courageous woman from what you've, you know, what you've told us today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, look, it's a lot to put in an hour. And, I'm sorry uh, about that. It probably sounded a bit inconvoluted. Oh, no, it's okay. And, you know, it's even maybe tough on my guests that I have to restrict them to an hour because uh, um, and it happens almost every podcast. And I, I think a lot of guests don't even realize that the time flies so fast for them. I may or may have not mentioned this to the audience that it just, as these files get bigger and bigger, it's harder to edit them and, and it, Absolutely. T- it slows down the entire process. Eventually, yeah. um, I'll probably get a new computer that's a lot more powerful and then I c- it can handle you know <laughs> bigger files. Yeah. But for now, it just is what it is. And Absolutely. That, I guess I dropped out. You're back? I'm back. Oh, okay. I don't yes, know where I was, yes. where we were, but I just want to say. You were saying thank you for being my guest. And, and I just wanted to say you do understand that you're one of the great healers too. Oh, well, thank you. 
Oh, and now you're gone again. <laughs> now you're back. Okay, and now I'm back again. I just, I, I just wanted to say you're one of the great healers too. Oh, well, thank you so much. The work I, you do is is of the light. Oh, thank you so much. And I was sure. I was trying to tell you that without the guests like you and all the other guests, there would be no podcast, and none of this healing would be facilitated. I'm just like. The facilitator, but the guests are the ones that are that are healing the people by sharing their stories. Look, one last thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing is is love your animals. They chose you, mm. and you chose them, and they're here to to support you and and take on your burdens. So don't burden them. Mm. Love right. them. I like that. Thank you. Welcome. All right, Angie. I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing, and you. enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.